Uh, my name is Angel, uh, if you don't know me, and I'm so glad to be here. I know why when Dervin is here, he always says, wow, you guys are a good-looking bunch. I wish you could come and stand here and see you. You guys are really a good-looking bunch. And so turn around and say to the person closest to you, we are a good-looking bunch. <laughs> Uh, now, no more chick-chattering. Uh, that's all I wanted you to say was uh, uh, last week we started back on the Matthew series again. Um, uh, we've been on the Matthew series for a while. We uh, go on and off. And uh, last week, Devin did it on chapter 11, uh, 1 to 15. Just to give you some context, um, uh, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' forerunner, you know, he was the one who said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the guy. He's having second thoughts. He's asking, are you the Messiah? He's disillusioned. Troubles have come, and his expectation of Jesus has not been met by Jesus. Uh, so that's kind of where it is, and the disciples come and ask the questions, are you the one, his disciples, are you the one, or should we be expecting another? And so Jesus tell the, tells, talks to the, his disciples, and then he turns around and he talks to the crowd. And this is what he says in verse 16. These are hard words. Looking around to the crowd, Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out others. We played pipe for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge, that means a funeral song, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So here is Jesus. Um, he's looking at the audience and makes this observation or an indictment about the audience. He compares them to children, not in a good way. He's, uh, he's comparing them to spoiled children, maybe privileged children, or entitled. I know uh, we always say millennials are the entitled ones. I think we all could be. Uh, Jesus is saying they are like children who are never happy, complaining that nothing is happening the way they want it. Jesus' complaint is not that they are complaining. Jesus' complaint is that you are missing the most important thing. You are missing what's in front of you. Um, he says, John came, you missed him. Because you said, oh, he eats funny things, he dresses funny, uh, he's weird, you know, there's a demon in him. Uh, and he says, I came, and you are missing me. 
uh, because you say I'm too friendly with the sinners, the drunkard, the partiers, the prostitutes, and I don't meet up your expectation. And what he's saying is God is at work. The living God has come and you are not seeing because things are not happening the way you had expected. It's like, um, you know, a child wants a, um, a lightsaber, you know, from Star Wars. He's waiting for that. And the parents give him a ticket to Disneyland. And he's having a temper tantrum because he didn't get the lightsaber. When he could go and experience the whole Star Wars at, at Disneyland. They came with expectations of Jesus and John, and they were disappointed and missed what God was doing right in front of them. Like Jesus' audience, we also could miss what God is doing right in front of us. We can't see what God is doing in our children because nothing is happening the way we had hoped for our children or how we wanted them to be. We can't see what God is doing in our community, even here at Hillside, because things are not happening the way you want it to. Uh, we can't see what God is doing in our marriages because we came with lots of expectations of our marriage. We have become grumblers and complainers. I think sometimes we have become fans and not disciples. Unless it's just right, we are not impressed. And we want to be impressed, don't we? We want to be. And that was the problem with Jesus' audience. In verse 20, uh, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, in verse 20, because they did not repent. Woe to Chorazin, woe to Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to the Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have been remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than you. Now I know why Dervin gave me this passage. And he didn't want to preach on this, right? <laughs> uh, the war to the cities. Um, it means what Jesus is saying, what sorrow awaits you. That's what Jesus is saying. What sorrow awaits you? I came in love and did all these miracles right in front of you, and you have missed it. Um, we talked about Matthew's gospel. We've been talking for, for a couple of years probably 
and we said the important thing, the main theme is Matthew trying to communicate is that Jesus is the king, the anointed king. That's the theme that's running through the whole gospel, and it picks up, it's picking up speed. And here in these four verses, I think uh, Matthew might be saying this is the judge, the coming king. Uh, because Jesus claims to know not only what's going to happen that day, he seems to know what's going to happen to the cities. Interestingly, we have no record of Jesus preaching judgment on pagans. I know that's what we think. We always want to condemn people who are not believing. That's not the case. It's important to see Jesus preach this message not to the outsiders, but to the insiders to the religious Israel, the spiritually privileged uh, Galileans and uh, Bethsaida and Capernaum. Uh, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum has been Jesus' neighborhood. It's kind of his hood, he would say. Uh, it's where his markets were, the baker was, the barber was. This is where Jesus hung out. And wherever he went, remember, he did miracles too, right? And um, it'll be like for you saying, oh, the Coquitlam Center, the Lougheed Mall, you know your hood, right? That's what this, these places are. What was Jesus' disappointment? He's saying again, the living God is here. He's doing miracles, and you haven't recognized me. Um, in verse 20, he says, For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Now, if you're wondering what the word repented means, it means turn around. Change your course of action and turn around. That's all it means. Uh, Tyre and Sidon. Uh, what do you think was the sin of Tyre and Sidon? You can go home and read Isaiah 23 if you want more details. These were affluent cities, well-to-do cities. Their sin was pride. If you, like, you know, we have 10 best cities in the world to live, right? Like, I think Vancouver is one of them. We are one of them. Uh, in, the, in the biblical times, if there was 10 worst cities to live, Sodom would be on the top. Everyone knew about Sodom. What do you think was the sin of Sodom? It says, it says um, in Ezekiel chapter 16, this is what it says, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Yahweh, Sodom's sins are pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. She was arrogant. That's God's in indictment on Sodom. That's what he considered Sodom's sin. Ouch. It's a bit too close to comfort, isn't it, for us? You know, we are doing all these renovations. It's great. Uh, we have 
rules that don't leak. We don't have to put buckets. Kevin doesn't have to run around with buckets. Uh, Scott, um, you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, uh, siding is good. Woodpeckers are not pecking. Mushrooms are not growing. And uh, we have windows, keeps the heat in, keeps the cold in. We have AC, great. But even as elders, as we have prayed for these renovations, we sensed what God wants to do is to renovate our hearts through this process. It's not about outside, but about inside. I sense Jesus wants to take the walls inside our hearts, walls of self-sufficiency, pride, arrogance, ego, our greed, our fears, our self-centeredness. He wants to take those walls out and expand our hearts so that it's a large place filled with joy, generosity, inside and out generosity, love, hope. We'll move on to verse 25. It says, um, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Remember what he had just said, right? And he prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think of themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and to those whom the Son cho chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is, starts praying this prayer at this time, it says. What is that happening at this time? Just remember, Jesus is fully human. He's fully God, but he's fully human, just like you and me. He feels pain. He feels rejection. Uh, what do you think is happening? He has come to his own and he has done all the miracles and they have rejected him. His greatest support person has, is withdrawing his support, it seems like. Um, the significant people have turned away from him. Things are not going the way he had hoped. Have you felt that? When things are not going, you had hoped things will happen, and it hasn't. I'll tell you, my tendency when things don't go the way it happens, I sulk, I get angry, I get frustrated, there's hurt, there's revenge, things going on in my head. But look at how Jesus responds. He prays. He doesn't react. He prays. Uh, as he prays, these verses I read, he's getting the Father's perspective, how Father sees things. Um, if you read the Gospels, this is how Jesus responds. When testing comes, when temptation comes, when people want to make him king, he withdraws and he goes and prays. 
He gets perspective. Um, I think this is something we could learn from Jesus. When things don't go the way we have hoped, uh, we pray. Because you see, God reorients Jesus, right? He re reorients him the right way. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven stuff is hidden from the wise and the clever and revealed, to, revealed or opened up to the childlike. He says this is the kingdom way. Uh, Mark Buchanan, uh, whom we know who has come and spoken here, he makes an observation. He says when things come at us that is beyond our control, think of your life, okay? Our response could be childlike or we could be childish. So from here, we can gather what is childishness looks like. It's complaining nothing is happening the way we want it. If you have kids, you know that. Uh, they act like that. We act like that. When expectations are not met, we have temper tantrums or we sulk. Uh, and all the while, we miss what God is doing in our lives right now. Have you hung out with those people like that? Grumblers? It's not fun being with them. You kind of feel like Debbie Downer, you know, after hanging out with them. Are you one of them? You know, we have blind spots, don't we? If you want to know really who you are, ask your children, they'll tell you. <laughs> Especially if you have young adult children, no filters, they'll tell you. <laughs> um, or even little kids, they will. Um, your spouse, they'll tell you. A close friend. But before you ask, be open to the truth because you might not like what you hear. Childlike. Childlike, this is what Jesus wants us to be, is receptive, trusting. They come with their own need and inadequacy. They come with their hands lifted up, saying, I need your help. I'm tired. I can't do this life on my own. Father, would you provide for me? Uh, someone asked me uh, the other day, why do we lift up our hands when, when we worship? I said, uh, we lift up our hands. Is, it's like us little kids coming to our daddy saying, Daddy, come and pick us up. We are tired. We can't do life on our own. I feel so inadequate. Things are not working out the way I had hoped and planned, carry me. That's what worship is. We just come with our brokenness where we are at and just says, Lord, pick me up. If you want a bit more depth or color for this passage we are in, go and read Luke 10 in your spare time today. Uh, it gives color. Uh, I think um, uh, Luke puts people stories in the middle of all these. Same, same things Jesus is saying, but you would see stories in there. Just after Jesus prays this prayer and tells them, 
you know, things of uh, heaven is hidden for the wise and the learned. Luke puts the story in there, right in there. He says, uh, an expert in the law, a wise and a learned comes to Jesus. He's like a theologian probably. Um, he wants to test Jesus because he doesn't like what he sees in Jesus, right? So he wants to test him. What must I do to inherit eternal life, he asks. If you want to know what eternal life is, sometimes we think that's just saying, asking Jesus to come into my life. But that's not Jesus' definition. De Jesus' definition of eternal life is that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life for Jesus. It's this intimate relationship. Eternal life starts here, right now. And uh, so he's coming and asking, how do I inherit, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is pretty smart and wise. He can read people's thoughts and motives. Um, then he tells the story, good, the good Samaritan story. I know he asks, who's my neighbor? I think Jesus tells him who's my neighbor, but I think Jesus answers his first question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think Jesus, when he tells his story, if you read it carefully, Jesus very carefully points out to this expert in the law, you are that man who's on the roadside, beaten, left to die. And what Jesus is trying to say to him is, you need a savior outside of yourself. You can't save yourself. You are that man on the side of the road, and you need a savior outside of you to come and help you, rescue you, and heal you. All you can do, Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. He's the man who's beaten on the, on the street and left for dead. Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. What can he do? What can he do? He didn't tell that to the good Samaritan. You know, go and be a good neighbor. He said to this man, do likewise is to receive. You have to receive the kingdom of God. You can't earn it. You can't do anything but to receive it. We have to admit on our own strength and our powerlessness to rise above hurts, resentments, unhealthy behaviors, attempts to control our life. We can't we can do that. We have to admit that. We, we are incapable. Uh, our lives are unmanageable. Uh, somebody I look up to, uh, he calls us the fellowship of the withered hands. We have withered hands. And we can't fix ourselves. Only Jesus has to come and heal us. When things outside our control comes at us, how do you respond? The things that come out of you? I can tell you sometimes I'm shocked by the things that come out of me. I'm ashamed. I remember uh, during COVID, I had booked a flight for my son 
from Calgary to Vancouver and they just canceled the flight. I'm like, I called the airline and I said, hey, what's gonna happen? Like, are you gonna book another flight? And they're like, no, sorry ma'am, your flight is canceled. Can I tell you, I just lost it. I was furious. I was mean, mean and unkind to this man, probably who's in the lowest in that organizational chart and had no control. He didn't make that decision. But man, I was not a very nice person. Uh, sometimes when these things come at us, when things are happening not the way we wanted, the people whom we love, sometimes the things that we can say to them can be humbling and crushing and startling. That's when we know we need a savior. We need to be set free, uh, the word saved, in Hebrew means to set free, make whole, or delivered. Like it's all is happening. We need a, a savior outside of ourselves to save us, to redeem us, to transform us. Are you childlike? Or are you childish? The kingdom of heaven is revealed to the childlike. Then comes Jesus' uh, amazing, amazing invitation. Then Jesus said in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Come to me. It's me. It's not an institution, not his teaching. First, come to me. It's a relationship. He's saying to you, you can't do this life on your own. And who's this invitation is for? To the weary and burdened. All of us in some way, shape, or form, especially after COVID, uh, we are wearied, we are tired. Some of us feel beaten up. I think all of us feel beaten up after COVID right now. There's the economy, there's the interest rates, the housing prices, the inflation, the job market, all that. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. There's a promise. But did you notice? I will give you. I can give you a gift, but you need to take it. Right? If you don't take it, it just sits there. And he says, take my yoke. 
upon you. Uh, the yoke for the first century uh, listeners, it would have meant a rabbi's teaching his way of life. What do you think is, was Jesus' yoke? Um, uh, for sure, it's the things that he taught in, the, in chapters 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. But that's more than that. What's the yoke that Jesus, he says, take my yoke. What's the yoke Jesus wears? What does he wear before the foundations of the earth? If you want to know what it is, read the verses before. It's doing what the Father does, saying what the Father says. It comes from the intimacy between the father and son relationship. This is what we are invited into. We can do life on our own, but Jesus says, no, come. I like the way the message puts it. The father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father-son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I am not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over line by line with anyone who's willing to listen. He says, let me teach you, for I am gentle and humble at heart. Irving talked about that. Can you imagine? The Lord of the universe says, I'm gentle and humble at heart. Sometimes that kind of, just reading that, I'm like, Lord, I'm nowhere near that. The way we respond to the ones we are close sometimes, man, you're kind of going, I am not gentle and I am not humble. You can ask Dervin, he'll tell you that. <laughs> Um, and Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. It's a promise. It's a promise. How could that be? He's, because he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, yoked, um, that's yoking. Like there's a beam in between the, the two oxen there. That's what yoked is. And that's what Jesus is inviting us. He's saying, yoke up with me. You on one side, me on the other side. And then you're, you're, I'll give you the spirit to empower you. And you can do this life with me. That's what he's saying. Um, you know, and, and I think he's inviting us to say, I will bear the heavy burden. You carry the lighter burden. Have you, those of you fathers, sometimes, you know, your son comes in and says, yeah, I want to help carry your stuff. And you say, okay, come. And, you know, they kind of hold the thing, but not really. And, you know, they are walking beside their dad, and the dad does most of the heavy lifting. I think that's what Jesus' invitation. I will carry the load because we are never meant to carry so much weight on ourselves. We are never. But we do. We figure we want to be self-sufficient, right? 
I sense today Jesus wanting to invite you, each of you, into this large life, this abundant life. This abundant life doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles. It's just doing life differently, his way. You keep coming to him, like Devin said this morning, with your brokenness, with your mess, where life doesn't make sense anymore. Some of you, you're going through that. You're like, this is not what I hoped and planned life would be like. Let Jesus teach you how to do life. He's tender. He's gentle. He's kind. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases, the diseases that nobody sees other than you, inside you, what's going on, the ugly parts. He redeems you, redeems you from the pit and crowns you with compassion. He does that. And he wants to do that. Can I tell you, he has done that so many times. So many times I want to do, like a child with a temper tantrum, want to do life on my own. And then he invites me back. Angel, come back. Let's do life together. I'll teach you. And when he does that reverse flow on barren heights, when he does that in my barren places, life and streams flow. He comes and says to me, do not be afraid, angel. Do not be afraid. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will turn your mourning into dancing. And I sense he wants to say that to each one of you. See, our tendency is to do life on our own terms, right? When we do life on our own terms, it means me, myself, and I. That's what it means. And when we do that, we become fearful people. We become stingy people. We are grabbing. We are tight-fisted. We are critical. We are angry. We are controlling people. Uh, envying others, how life is going for them. We feel like a victim. Life hasn't been fair. We sulk. The picture I had was uh, tumbleweed. Have you seen tumbleweed? They go on the, in desert. That's what we are like. When life, we do life on our terms, we are like tumbleweed. We just go wherever the wind blows in the desert. But Jesus wants us to live this large life. It's like a tree planted by the waters where the roots go down deep into the waters. The wind blows, it does blow, but the tree stands because you are deeply, deeply rooted in Jesus. You, your confidence is in God's goodness and love. People will hurt you, betray you. Doesn't mean you are 
beyond all that, uh, above that. When that happens, Jesus will tell you, forgive them. Forgive them and walk away so that you are not tied to them. Uh, the picture I had was uh, when you have bitterness, it's like hot water in your mouth and it's burning your whole mouth. And he says, spit it out, spit it out, angel. That's forgiveness, letting it out. And then you can drink the living water he wants to give you. We are grounded in Jesus. I sense his invitation today is, let me read it from the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out in religion? Burned out doing life on your own terms? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and I'm just going to quickly pray as uh, they come. Lord Jesus, we give you us, our lives, all of us, the whole being, Father, the good, the bad. Father, we come with who we are. Teach us how to live this life. Father, we want to live a large life, Lord. We confess to you we have been childish. We've been angry because things are not happening the way we had expected. So we come before you with expectancy. Lord, do it the best way. Teach me how to live this life. Empower me, Jesus. Empower me. I want to live this large life you are inviting me to. In Jesus' name, amen.